welcome everybody. Happy New Year. This is our, our first episode of Alto Performance Insights of 2021. Uh, we're going to be focusing a bit in this first month on uh, really how tech is involved in specific sports and, and specifically with football here a little bit. As if we thought all of the uh, all of the strangeness of 2020 was behind us, Daniel, being from Cleveland, uh, we saw the Browns win a playoff game and Ohio State lose. So I guess we're still only allowed to have just a, just a slice of success there. Yeah, that's that's the state of Ohio for you. You only get one good team at a time. So yeah. we'll take the Browns this year, and maybe Ohio State will show us something next year. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this week, um, we are extremely uh, lucky to be joined by Dr. Daniel Greenwood. He is the Director of Human Performance Center at the University of Memphis. Dr. Greenwood, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, gentlemen. Good to be here. Well, at the University of Memphis, you have kind of a unique position in, in which um, – we, there's a human performance center, but it's actually set up to work with the athletic teams as opposed to more of a, a strictly academic position. Why don't you just give us a little bit about your, your background and then also your, your current position in Memphis? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've spent my, I, I consider it my entire life in sport um, and really in, in sports science for my entire career. My, when I say sports science, I've always been working directly with athletes. So if, once I finished my undergrad, um, even that was intertwined with like the local cricket team that I played for. Um, cricket to our American friends here is, uh, uh, what would you call it, baseball with a little bit more running, but not that much more. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, and... So I guess I guess I've always been in applied sports science. I started out at the Australian Institute of Sport as a as a junior scientist there. Uh, lived in Singapore for a couple of years, working as a biomechanist there. Moved back to Australia to do my PhD and work at the Queensland Academy of Sport. Um, then back at the Australian Institute of Sport, and now over here in Memphis, um, running the Human Performance Centre. And so, I guess all of my work has has not my work experience is not in a university basis. So as a result, I have this very applied background and we're now using that applied background here at, at the University of Memphis to bring, I guess, the traditional sports science as I see it, working with athletes and coaches to make them better, setting up the same thing here at the University of Memphis. So our, our goal really is while we're housed within the uh, College of Health Sciences, our role really is as a bridge between and quite literally a bridge because we've got train tracks in between the two, a bridge over to the South campus where a lot of our sports are based, um, working with the coaches and athletes to understand their challenges and use science to, to solve those problems. So from a, from a strategic point of view for the university, you know, it's good to have, you know, we're able to funnel our undergrad and our graduate students into the sports programs at the university, giving them really good applied experience. Um, and from a, from the sports point of view, they're, they're getting, you know, high level scientific support for, you know, cents on the dollar. Yeah, that sounds like a really, a really cool position. I know Daniel being a Memphis grad, I'm sure uh, that's something you would have loved to have taken advantage of back, back at the time. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was fortunate that I got to work in the lab with uh, Dr. Max Paquette there. So I had my own kind of insight, insight into it, but to see the way that you guys have changed things and the, the extent to which you're working with the athletes there has been, it's been really cool. I think it's something that it could be uh, extremely valuable um, to other universities and organizations more generally. So it's been really cool to see uh, 
and so you, you work with almost all the sports is that right yeah pr pretty much there, there's a few that we haven't quite tapped into just yet but our role the way i see our role is really to you know we've got all this expertise we've got all this equipment within our within the college uh, and within the university as well and we've got all these applied questions that coaches and athletes and trainers and strength coaches have and our job my job really is around it's almost a matching process at times you know we've got you know we've got experts in gut health who are working within um, within the college and we've got questions around gut health that our coaches are asking and it's 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 really easy to link these two people that are passionate about this thing together to solve a problem and you know you, you talk about max and running technique and you know his history and um, understanding physiological load and training programs you know we've got this expertise that's sitting there why wouldn't we link them together because because it's not just a one-way street either what these coaches are telling us helps help scientists ask more important questions help scientists apply information and arguably even test in in the real world some of the things that they're researching you know it's um the, that that experiential knowledge that coaches have really helps to to improve our empirical processes and the other and vice versa yeah that makes i think that's uh, sorry because I, th I think that's a good point i think we often focus on how do you communicate as scientists how do you communicate to, to athletes but not many people ask the flip of that right it's like well, <clears throat> scientists also need to get feedback from the athletes it's not just scientists feeding the athletes stuff um i think there's a there's an important back and forth that that happens and maybe we don't talk about the, the flip side of that enough yeah but, i mean when you consider how much there is to measure you know especially when you go into sports settings it's it's really helpful to use that knowledge that coaches and athletes have built up over their experience to, you know, either shortcut or fast forward, or even just look in places that we haven't considered because, you know, we come from very, you know, by, by design, we come up through these very narrow processes, you know, experts in our silos that, you know, we're not great at looking left and right sometimes. Yeah. That's what I was actually just thinking is like in a university setting, like you're describing, it takes a little bit of the pressure off of you. You don't have to be the expert in, in biomechanics and in physiology and in gut health or, or running mechanics as you just gave those examples because there are those faculty doing that research. But often just even from my own experience in graduate school, athletics and academics exist in different silos. And that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense because uh, as you just mentioned, it's more like a matching game. Um, and I, I guess I'm also just curious, how does that, how does that play a role with, with each individual sport? Do you find that you end up like as maybe one coach has a question about, you know, let's say physiological efficiency and, you know, you help design that research or link them up with, with the right people to find that answer. Do you find that that same thing spreads to other sports or, or have you found that, that each sport really has its own set of questions and focuses? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting question because the, I mean, the answer is both that, you know, for example, a coach will say, will share with another coach, oh, we just did this and it was really cool. And then that coach will be like, well, I want that too. And that's a really good way of spreading the, the good stuff that sports science is capable of. Um, from a, but from a more operational perspective, almost a, a more structural design, we started out, we started out running these small projects. We use what we use what we call a project-based approach. So everything that we do is couched just like you would a research project. So it's got a 
it's got a pre-test and a post-test, or it's got a measurement, or it's got an intervention. It's something that we can track or that we can prove, I guess, value. we're trying to prove value in what we're doing or we're trying to answer specific questions. So everything has got a specific start and end date with a, you know, for example, if you don't have those sort of checkpoints, you, especially from my experience working with elite sport, as long as I have, we used to just basically provide services and you get caught in this wheel where you just sort of, you just sort of continue to do the same thing without that ability to stop and reflect on what you've done and make sure you're actually making the difference. And we tend to find that if you're just collecting data, for example, you almost, you almost get sucked into the sport and you start to accept the excuses that that sport has for not maybe collecting that data as rigorous, rigorously as you want, or, you know, accepting the, the tried and true excuses, not excuses, the, the reasons why things don't work. Whereas with a, with a almost, with a hard and fast project, you're allowed to sort of push things a little bit harder. You're allowed to ask hard questions. And at the worst case scenario, you're allowed to stop and say, well, this isn't working for this reason. So let's just, let's pull the plug and move on. So um, we started out at the university, you know, I started out with question, with a, with a sit down with each of the coaches to talk about, well, what, what are their priorities? Not only more from a performance point of view, um, and, uh, you know, for their athletes point of view and their own interests. Um, and then we, <clears throat> we also asked them about the way they'd like scientists to interact with their programs. And with that, we then created these five, uh, what'd you call them silos that we work in? That's actually, that's a terrible word. I hate silos, five areas, five areas that we work in to try to, to try to, um, answer some of their, their questions that they're having. So it's around um, athletic, you know, we call it athletic preparation. So it's a lot of screening type of work and it's also helping athletes um, sort of adapt to college life. You've got your skill improvement, which traditionally you would call biomechanics or skill acquisition, but we like to use the words that the coaches are using just so it's more accessible. Um, we have athletic capacity, which again, you'd probably call physiology traditionally, but again, we like to use those words that the coach is using so that it's something that means something to them when we say, well, we're going to, we're going to help in this area. Uh, we've got our sports nutrition program, which is, which is growing really quickly. It's, it's, we've dubbed it Tiger Bites and it's, um, you know, we've, we've got some fueling stations in place now. And we've got some education processes in place for our student athletes to help them sort of with their nutritional needs um, and uh, athletic rehabilitation. And so that's, we're not doing the athletic rehabilitation, but we're adding the technology and the science to help some of those processes with the athletic trainers, you know, hand in hand to, to I guess, you know, improve those processes from a scientific point of view. So I guess we've got, we tried to engage and have the coaches drive what we're doing from the start so that they felt, uh, well, they felt they did have a have a uh, a stake in what we're doing, um, and I think um, so. While they've got a stake in it, they're then helping drive it so that they're you know they want to see the outcomes that come from it. It's not you know I almost think of the traditional model of sports science, which is we'll come and measure some stuff that we define, we decide what you need measured, and then we'll tell you some results and tell you what you need to do differently. Then we'll disappear and we'll come back later when we see fit. And I kind of think of that from the flip side. Imagine a coach rocking into your lab and saying, geez, are you sure you should use Excel like that? Oh, I don't know. 
where we do it, we use it differently. All right, I'm gonna, here's, here's a few codes. I'm gonna come back and make sure you're using them in a few months and it's like, like it, in a way it's almost, Intrusive. It's, it's it's quite galling, right? The idea that this this scientist, you know, who might be 10, 20 years younger than a coach, shows up and goes, "Yeah, you're probably doing this wrong." All right, I'll uh, see you later, and uh, you let me know. <laughs> you let me know if you if you learn something from what I've just imparted upon you. Well, yeah. What's, and what's crazy is how how obvious that is, but that is the way that so many places do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, no, you're exactly right. That's uh, it's quite. It is quite appalling. And so that's, it's interesting how you mentioned like the different categories there and even the different terminology. And, and I think that's so important to really emphasize for our listeners that they're like, it really doesn't matter what we're calling it when we're working with athletes, like not throw the textbooks out the window in terms of like the science doesn't matter, but maybe the jargon doesn't matter as much. What matters is, is that the athlete and coach receive it and actually understand it because they'll smile and nod all day long sometimes mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're actually going to use any information if they can't understand it uh, so within maybe one or two of those areas could you dive into a little bit of maybe just some examples of, of the specific technology that you've helped uh, you know put in place and, and helped utilize i know in the past we've talked perhaps mostly about biomechanical technology just because that's uh, mine and daniel's background but feel free to expand outside of that realm as well um well i guess i mean because we're uh you know, because we're a fully functioning university with a lab and we've got, we got gear to measure, measure what, whatever we want really for, for, for lack of, uh, for narrowing things. And so some of our challenges making sure that we're, or a lot of our challenges making sure that we're measuring things with a purpose and not just measuring it because we can. So, I mean, a really nice project, for example, is, so we, one of the challenge with, with both men's and women's basketball here was, um, major catastrophic or lots of lower limb injuries for both the boys and the girls. And so one of the challenges that the athletic trainers and the strength coaches were having is that they just didn't have enough uh, initial baseline data on their freshman athletes as they turned up. Um, and then they would get injured and then they're basically just chasing the towers from then on throughout the process. So one of the things we put in place was a, a series of screening tests that we can do for the athletes to to give the coaches as much information as we can about their lower limbs so that they can tailor those programs individually sort of acting on a then acting on a proactive place in their strength in their strength programs rather than a reactive place when something's gone wrong i mean you could argue that basketballers are already they've probably already had a few injuries before they get to the college level but at least we're, we're trying our best so i think what was nice there is so we had we had DEXA scans to measure body mass, fat mass, and most importantly, bone density, really, you know, really important. We had, um, you know, basic things like sleep surveys, knowing that sleep plays a part in, in injury occurrence. Uh, we had our, our dynamometer tracking hamstring quad strength um, and the ratios between the two. Um, we, had our, we had some VO2 testing just to provide baselines of what their fitness levels were. Uh, and then we had our 3D testing you know, 3D, 3D analysis space plus force plates, looking at drop jumps, hop and holds and cutting, looking at not only right, left loading, total loading, um, the how the joints were sort of s dispersing that force and, as, and also looking at, you know, knee valgus, hip, 
hip collapse and, and ankle collapse as well. So the, the question was, can you, you know, give us some more information about their lower limbs that contribute to injuries. So the research tells us, well, that, you know, bone density, fat mass, uh, hamstring quad strength, um, you know, landing, landing and moving mechanics are really the things that cause injury. So let's get some numbers on those for the athletes or for the athletes and for the coaches to emphasize where they need to place their emphasis with some saying with then some athletes being driven more to a, you know, bone density is bad. So we need a nutritional intervention, you know, some, you know, everything's good, but you're not sleeping well. Let's add a sleep, you know, let's put a bit of focus on that. Some it's just purely hamstrings aren't strong enough or quads aren't strong enough or both. Some of it's just right leg, left leg. Um, and you know, some of it's about landing mechanics. So can we improve that, that as a, as a principle? So I guess to answer your question, I, I don't, we, I always, we always try to start with a question and apply the technology from there rather than starting with the technology and applying that to, to a question with, with a, a common problem or I almost see sometimes scientists like, you know, you spend, you know, $3,000 on your new sensor. And so you walk around with your sensor sort of scanning the holes, looking for things to stick it on or, <laughs> you know, athletes who might benefit from getting numbers or athletes that I can, I can just measure with my new thing. And so we, we try to instead think of those things as our, as our, as our tool, tool shed or toolbox or, you know, whatever it is, and then come back to that shed with our question and say, well, we can use this and this in this occasion or this in this occasion, or, you know, or we can't answer that yet. So we need to, you know, we need to buy a new tool. I mean, I'm interested in what the information flow is like. Okay. So you've got a, a player, they come in, they do some testing and you identify some area that needs to be addressed. Do you is that information given to the athlete and then it, they relay it to the coaches? Do you relay it to the coaches directly to trainers? Could you, could you tell us a little bit about what the information flow is like? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, I think a lot, I think a really important thing to understand is that we start all this process from a, a place of me asking what's important and sort of developing a level of trust between me and the coach, the trainer and the strength coach. So there's, you know, there's sort of this, sometimes we forget the most important step, which is just that we, I understand the challenges that are, that are in front of me or that are in front of the coaches. And, you know, they believe that I'm here to help them answer those questions. So when you start from a place of trust, it's easier, the communication flow and the information flow is a lot easier because it's, it instantly becomes less, not, I think formal is probably the wrong word, but it becomes more yeah, maybe, maybe formal is the right word. It becomes more informal and more genuine and you can have more real conversations about what that data means and what it does answer and what it, importantly, what it doesn't answer. So we start from a place of, you know, let's go into this together. Um, and then based on the coach, the head coach, that'll sort of define how we want our information to flow. So, you know, for example, in the past, I've had head coaches that are, you know, that trust me enough to work directly with the athletes themselves. And they're like, you know, you do you, you help, you know, we, we agree that this is a problem. You help them do that. And, and I'm fine with it. Some of them, some coaches like the information to go to the coach and then they'll spread it out through their team. 
some, you know, some if it's a, you know, for it's if it's a rehab problem, well, you work directly with the athletic trainer, and then you know, you guys work on how you want to give that information. And usually it's best coming from the athletic trainer. Um, and, you know, same with the strength coach. So I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, a, a model of information flow, but more uh, an understanding that I need the, I need the athlete. I either need the athlete or the coach to understand what's going wrong. And then, either help, then help them change it so i have so i think it's important sometimes that we don't see ourselves you know scientists are often best kept quiet and kept out of the way because you know we we don't know these athletes as well as the coaches do we don't know the right words and the wrong words to use with these athletes to have the impact so you know getting no credit and just giving the coach the report you know for example some coaches would sit and we'll sit together over a coffee and just pour over the report or the data we put together and and come up with a plan and we'll simplify it and chunk it and you know change it and say well these are the things we want to hit let's not mention these things for now and sometimes it's the other way around so i think it's a real almost almost not being too protective over my data and my report with the understanding that this is this is the data report I've, I've produced. Let's talk about what it is that's here. Let's, based on your experience and my experience, let's adapt it for you know whatever the, who and whatever the message is we're going to give. So I think it's uh, maybe I'm you know, I'm obviously wandering on my thoughts a little bit here, but I think you get the gist that there's not necessarily a you know for example our our men's basketball pro program, we, we've created quite a, it's a really sexy looking report that sort of almost embraces the fact that these guys want to be in the NBA. They expect, you know, slick productions of things that look really, really smooth. Our women's basketballers, they are a really funny bunch and like to have fun with things. So we have, so instead of our um, ticks and crosses, you know, we have sad tigers and happy tigers and that sort of thing for our things. For our football program, you know, we work with um, our uh, strength coaches prefer graphs to tables because it's just easier for them to interpret. Um, for our golf coach, the boys really like to, like they love tinkering as a general, as a general concept. So we always make sure we have boxes that they have to fill in you know, to, to either add numbers together or to get averages or to they have to write their own comments in on that sort of thing. So we're really trying to to sort of tailor these reports to the athletes that they're going to so that the athletes take the information out of it that they need to, sort of almost putting that information transfer as our, as, as our number one priority and the 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 formal scientific presentation, you know, we, we can save that for our, you know, our... Um, conferences and our papers and the things that we write after that right so we keep we keep coming back to this like it, it's about understanding right and it's about the athletes and the coaches understanding and i think that's a really cool way of just as you even just explained like there's six different ways to show the same types of results based on the athlete and coach and, and that particular setup uh, we i have kind of a, a two-part question here and and it's coming from from some of our listeners Sports science tech is becoming more and more available, um, which is exciting. And athletes are starting to come up, you know, through the ranks training with it. And even as you're talking about like the men's basketball team, they're expecting 
to, you know, be looking to go to the NBA. So they're looking to use this data and almost have like a, like a draft profile set up. Um, you're obviously working with university level athletes, but do you see this type of data and information being more useful for younger athletes, whether that's as a recruiting tool, whether that's simply in training. And then along those same lines, being in a university is kind of nice. Maybe you have a few more dollars you know, at your disposal. How do you see the potential cost accuracy trade-offs of some of the um, more you know, financially available sports science tech that we're starting to see out in the market? Yeah, I think, th I think the whole thing revolves around that it is a cost benefit analysis of purpose and use. And I think the cost is not only the cost of the equipment, but also the cost of the time that it takes to either collect data, analyze data and turn around reports. I think the most, the, the scariest use of what this gear is capable of these days is taking at face value what a number that a piece of equipment spits out and accepting that as gospel and accepting what a what it tells you without further digging. Makes sense. So, you know, so simple things like, you know, our GPS, our catapult GPS sensors give us workload, which is an arbitrary term that the company's made up, which is, you know, a summation of all the accelerations in all directions um, to give us this, this number of what they're doing. And so without an understanding of what's contributing to that number, who are you to say that a high workload or a low workload or 10% increase in workload is bad or good because you don't necessarily at, at when you first get this tool, you don't necessarily know what it's doing. And you can take that a step lower as like, well, you did seven accelerations based on what the sensor said. And it's like, well, what's your cutoff for an acceleration? Well, it's, you know, this many meters per second. Well, is that what a coach defines as an acceleration or is that what, you know, is that what a footballer defines as an acceleration? I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but you, there's a level of scientific rigor that is required before you take numbers at face value, um, which I think is really important when we talk about tech, the, the cost stuff, you, you tend to, I tend to think that most of the tech the the tech behind it is pretty similar you know uh, and i an inertial measurement unit is an inertial measurement unit but you tend to pay extra money to get the data out quicker or to have a, a smoother data uh, data collection process or to have a smoother um, output on the other end which is both a blessing and a curse because by having those things quicker and easier you tend to get more and more numbers rather than less and less numbers and so you can get caught in this vortex where you start getting really caught up in you get caught up in the data and the sensors and what it can produce getting further and further away from the fundamental question. So I guess when I think about kids using stuff or, you know, universities or anybody paying for this stuff, it, the longer I've gone through my career, I start to ask myself more of a question around, well, what question am I answering? And arguably how much am I prepared to pay for that answer? Like what is, what is this answer worth to me on either a one-off basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis? So if this is gonna cost me 20 man hours to get my data organized per week and it's gonna cost me you know, a thousand bucks in just pure tech costs. If I had a person, would I, 
is is the numbers I'm going to get on the far end worth those 20 hours and that thousand bucks, or am I better off, you know, I don't know, you know, am I better off paying for some you know, protein powder, or am I better off uh, paying for an extra rehab session or a prehab session, or am I better off paying for yoga, or am I better off, I don't know, getting them some food, you know, whatever it is, it's, it, that I think that bit's irrelevant, whatever else I spend my money on, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in getting numbers out or collecting data that we forget that, you know, sports are a business and, and sports scientists, I think are a much, a much misunderstood role in that, in, in the business of sport, uh, that, you know, you can have a real impact, you know, 40 hours of a sports scientist can truly change, can truly change a program, can change athletes, can change coaches, can really, you know, make things better. But only if we understand that every hour we put in is, is a cost and we have to make sure that the time that we're spending is, is money well spent for that athlete outcome. And so, you know, if, if you deem that it's an important question with an important answer, especially up front with the coach's buy-in, well, then it's, it's an easy sales pitch, right? Because the coach has said, I want an answer to this. And then they're engaged in the process and they, they want, they'll pay for that answer. But if you just sort of meander along with collecting data and looking for things as you go, you know, things become not a great use of money pretty quickly. The, the, I mean, you know, the amount of pieces of scientific gear that have been bought that have been used for a month and now sit in somebody's bag or somebody's shelf or somebody's <laughs> garage is terrifying. And I think that probably speaks to a lot of where, where the tech is or where the tech industry and sport has come from, which is come, come try this. It does this. Oh, wow. It does that. I really want to know that. Okay. So all you have to do is just put it on and it'll work straight away. Okay. Okay. So, so I have to do what before every session I have to cal Okay. I have to calibrate it. Okay. So I've calibrated. Okay, now I have to, what do I have to do after the session? I have, to, I have to collect all that as well. Okay. And then I get it and I get this spreadsheet and I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to get these kids through their session. I, you know, I don't have time to dig into this rubbish and I don't even know what these numbers mean. You know, it's the, the promises that are made on the front end and the realities of what come out the other end are, are terrifying at times. So as you were saying that, uh, I reached over and grabbed a, a GPS watch. I won't show the brand, but uh, I bought this when I was a senior in high school and it was the craziest thing. I always tell people that I used to measure runs uh, by getting in my car and looking at, <laughs> looking at my mileage tick up mm -hmm. as I went through my route. And I bought this uh, GPS watch and I wore it for about three months and then I stopped wearing it because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with any of this information. I'm not using any of this information that I have. So, uh, and it very quickly just started annoying me because it was beeping every mile and I wasn't doing anything with it. <laughs> because it does, it takes time and it takes, it takes attention and it takes focus to, to understand what you want to do with it. Right. And if, if you don't have that time, then it's, you know, it's, it's a waste. It, it is a waste. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that cost isn't just dollars and, um, like when you think about the main hours and especially, you know, we, we work with, with several, um, you know, small training centers and things. And I mean, one of these is like, these are, these are, these are coaches. These are guys that are busy. These are people, you know, these are, the, this is their evening part-time job. They don't have 20 hours a week mm -hmm. on the, to organize data. 
So maybe it's not just the dollars, but also what else is it going to take? I think that's really good insight. Hmm. Yep. So we are coming up on the last few minutes here. We like to ask all of our guests, uh, if you could in, in about a minute or so, explain where you want to see applied sports science go over the next five to 10 years. It could be generally across the globe. It could be, you know, specifically within U of M, completely up to you. But in a minute or less, where do you, where do you want to see uh, applied sports science go? I mean, I want to see applied sports science answering the right questions. And I think sometimes we don't answer the right questions. And so when I think about we're capable of we're capable of answering the things but sometimes we don't spend enough time on the front end making sure that we understand the problems and understand the challenges that that our coaches are facing so more conversations with coaches to understand their needs and then better designed research which you know projects research whatever you want to call it to probably answer the questions that matter i think we have enough tools we have enough gear to measure what we need to but we need to make sure they're answering things that matter. You know, if you want to use football examples, should I go for this on fourth and two? Well, at the moment, we don't have an answer to that. You know, why is this person a flame out? Why is this highly touted quarterback a flame out? You know, we still don't have those fundamental answers. So I think some of those big questions, I think sports science has the ability to answer. And that's the stuff I'm excited about, you know, answering questions that truly matter rather than tinkering around the edges as we sometimes do around, you know, you know, things that, things that matter, but not really. And so I, th I think, you know, that those honest conversations around what truly matters, what changes performance, what moves the needle, that's where I'd like to see us spending our time. And that's where I'd like to see sports science going. Yeah. There, there are a lot of bigger questions that should be answered. And there's a lot of people just like you were saying, hyper focused on these tiny things so mm -hmm. which which to be honest you know coaches work in a multidisciplinary world they they aren't necessarily focused on the latest biomechanics challenge because they're too busy worrying about the seven other things that are exploding in their program at any given time yeah and i, I mean i guess uh, that probably goes back to i mean you mentioned when you first started in memphis the first thing you do was sit down with the coaches and just what What's on your mind? What What do you want to solve? What you know, and then and then then you can take a step back and actually think about how to how to approach it bite by bite, but to but to actually tackle the big problems. Yeah, and a lot of that involved, you know, going to training sessions, understanding what you know what coaches meant by different things, making sure I understood their terminology. You know, simple things like hard work. What does that mean to somebody? You know, uh, yeah. making sure that I understand their world so that I can contribute to their world. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dr. Greenwood, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, this has been definitely a, a really good conversation. Can you just tell our audience if, if anyone has any other questions or things they'd like to, to get in touch with you, how can they learn more about your work or, or contact you? Uh, yeah, everything we're doing is on our Human Performance Center website uh, through the University of Memphis. So you can find us there, you know, on Twitter, Daniel Greenwood with the zeros or O's of zeros. And yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, as always, be sure to stay up to date with us at altosportsperformance.com and on our social media pages. And uh, we look forward to, to talking again next week. Dr. Greenwood, thanks again for joining us. It's been a, a great afternoon. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. No worries, boys. Uh, yeah, happy listening, everybody. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>